three, two, one, and go. All right, guys, this is Convo Courses podcast every week. I talk to you about cybersecurity, a specific branch of cybersecurity, and you're listening to somebody who's been doing this for a very long time, doing what's called GRC, Governance, Risk, and Compliance. That's going to be our main topic today. Um, I'm going to open topics. We can talk about anything you want, but my main focus is going to be GRC because that's what I do. I've been doing this for over 20 years now, specifically for the government, but I've also done it from uh, for other organizations. And um, let's get right into this. What is GRC? Why are we talking about this? It's a little known branch of cybersecurity. You've heard about hacking. You've heard about pen testing, ethical hacking. Very popular. You talk, you've heard about CSI forensics, data forensics. You've heard of probably being an analyst. They, they, these are branches of IT and cybersecurity that are often portrayed in the movies. What you don't hear about is what I'm about to talk to you. And the thing is, this is something we use all the time. It's kind of invisible. It's something all of us use on a daily basis. If you've ever gone to a bank, if you've ever gotten um, an ID card, if you've ever gotten um, a driver's license, if you've ever if you've ever gone to the store, used your credit card, if in the background of all of these major institutions and these infrastructures that we use every day that we take for granted, in the background of this, you have something called GRC, Governance, Risk, and Compliance. So what does this mean? I'm going to break this down to you in, very sim- in a very understandable and practical way to where you really get it. And by the end of this, maybe you'll want to pursue GRC as well. Now, before I get started, you should know that this is Combo Courses. Um, what I do is I teach. I have books. I have probably 98% of what I do is online for free. So if you go to combocourses.net, combocourses.org, if you go to Combo Courses on any one of my, anywhere I'm at, you'll see these videos of me teaching about cybersecurity and talk and just talking frankly about how people can get into this. And the reason why I decided to take it on my, upon myself to do this is because nobody else is really talking about it. Um, and I want to talk to you in a way that explains to you not only what it is, but how you can do it. Because I wasn't given that, I wasn't given um, that when I came into this. And so I really had to learn this the hard way, which is just reading uh, federal documents and trying to figure it out. (laughs) So um, I'm going to spoon feed it to you, explain it from a, you might not even want to do this, but after I'm done, you'll at least know what you're turning down. And if you happen to be in this, you are my audience. If you're already in IT, then I'm speaking directly to you. You're my main audience. Like if you're already a help desk person already doing, uh, I don't know, working in a sock or knock, or maybe you lay cables, you're, uh, you're a telecommunications guy. Maybe you you are um, a, whatever the case may be. I'm, ta- I'm speaking to you because I'm trying to explain to you there's a whole other branch of cybersecurity that pays really well and will help you, your family, and help you just have a better life. That's that's the reason why I'm doing this is to help people to get where uh, to be afforded all the opportunities that I have been. I'm really blessed in this space. This is something that has helped me out, my, my family out. My, my whole life has been changed because of this. Uh, the opportunities 
that are in this particular field. So what is GRC? Governance, risk, and compliance. When I told you uh, that it's in the retail chains, it's in the banking system, it's in the government, this is the infrastructure we use. This is the process and the systems that we use to protect your data. That's your privacy. That's your financial information, your healthcare information. We have a process in place. When I say we, I mean organizations that you go to are supposed to have a process in place that protects your information. Now, you hear about getting people getting hacked and all your information getting leaked and stuff. Usually that's because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Usually that's because they're not. It's not because there's a, some elite hacker that did all this incredible stuff. The biggest hacks are because the organization wasn't doing what they're supposed to do because these the GRC processes are designed to lessen the impact that happens to uh, to um, that organization if they put these things in place. Because you have things like disaster recovery, you have incident response, you have uh, audit logs, you have education to the users for doing cybersecurity awareness. You have all of these things in place. And if an organization is doing this uh, well, if they're doing them what they're supposed to do, they don't even have to be the best at it, but if they're doing what they're supposed to do, even if they get attacked, and nobody's exempt from getting attacked, there's no such thing as an organization that's not ever going to lose any information or ever get hacked. That's not, that is highly improbable, I should say. But you, what you can do is lessen the impact. Um, and that is what GRC is all about. It's about managing the risk. And so in the retail chains, they want to manage the risk in using something called PCI DSS. Um, if you're in healthcare industry, they're going to manage the risk by using something called um, uh, HIPAA. If you're in the financial sector, you might use something called Sarbanes-Oxley. If you are in the federal uh, organ, if you're in the federal space, in the federal industries, you know your Department of Defense, your I don't know State Department, uh, you name it. All federal organizations use what's called NIST 800 or NIST Risk Management Framework. So. What I've named to you, Sarbanes-Oxley, PCI DSS, um, Risk Management Framework, NIST 800, what all these are are standards. It's just a, a list of rules that an organization is supposed to use to protect their to protect their assets. Assets just is a fancy word for very important information, very important things that they use to do business and mission systems, to, to do their business and their mission. The way they get money, the way they protect soldiers, the way they protect uh, financial information, the, the way they protect patient records. All of these things are in place um, to protect our information. And there's a process that these standards have to. And if an organization follows this process, they're actually protecting your information to the best of their ability. Um, and, and there's different levels of effort. That just means there's different amounts of work that needs to be put in place uh, to make this happen. So, for example, uh, a very small clinic who's ha has a very small customer base, they don't they don't deal with x-rays. They don't really take any critical um, information about somebody's health. 
they maybe all they do is cold and flu season. They do shots or something. So they don't really need a person's full medical records. They just all they need is maybe some immunization records and then they give you the shot and then you they send you on your way. They're not it's not a gigantic hospital chain that's 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 doing surgeries and stuff like that. So they're that hospital that's doing surgeries. They're going to have to have a whole different set of records. They're going to have to have all your complete medical history. And they might even have scans of things you had from when you were a little kid. There's different levels of effort to protect that information, right? So this small chain that has a very little bit of information, you know, it's important information, but it might have your first name, last name, and your medical records, your um, your your immunization records. That's it, right? But this other chain has the last time you had a surgery. They have not only your your information, but maybe part of your family's information, your kids' information's there. They have the last time your kid broke their arm, and that's in there. They have uh, your not only your medical history, but things you're allergic to. They have they have your entire history of your records, and it's all in digital format. Think about what happens if this small chain that all they do is give flu shots gets gets hacked, and all information gets leaked. Right? That's bad. But the impact is very different from if this gigantic hospital gets hacked and all your digital records is leaked and put on the dark web. Totally different impact. This big chain is going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars potentially and maybe lose their whole operation. This small end of flu shop that sets up every year to do flu, you know, to, to give people their annual flu shots. What are they really losing, right? They could probably set up shop somewhere else, or, or maybe they, uh, they, they lost some records, but it's not as serious as this other one. Different levels of effort are gonna be are gonna have to be done in order to protect these different levels of information. Does that make sense? That is no. That's what we're talking about is risk, levels of risk. Every organization has a different level of risk. Determining what the level of risk is is absolutely pivotal to an organization because it's going to determine what the compliance is, what level of compliance, how much governance we have to do. And what I want to show you something real quick, this little diagram, it's like a little, looks like a Venn diagram. And it's these inner self for those who are listening to this later. It's a, at the top, you have a circle that has governance. And then at the bottom, two circles that overlap that have risk and compliance. And all these circles are interconnected in some way because there's a lot of overlap between these three things. When we say governance, risk, and compliance, we're actually talking about a huge field uh, that's within cybersecurity. We're talking about compliance officers, information system security officers. We're talking about auditors and assessors who go out and, and determine how much risk is on a system or how, how many vulnerabilities are there. We're talking about governing that the the vulnerability management of that whole organization. How do we manage all the the assets that we have within our organization? How do we manage whether or not we have the appropriate cyber workforce to actually do the risk and the compliance um, that we need? So all of those things come together and they form what's called GRC. And a lot of times governance will include risk and will include some compliance. And sometimes compliance, which is mainly what I do right now, it includes determining risk and it includes 
governance. You really can't have one without the other. It's like a three-legged stool. So it's just that in, in our field, like if you're doing compliance, a lot of times you're not doing a lot of risk stuff. Um, and if you're doing just purely you're an auditor or an assessor, you're probably not doing a lot of governance type work, but you have to work with that a lot. So when we say GRC, it's a very, very broad feel. Like when you pe hear people say that, it's very, very broad. It's, you're saying a lot, but let me, and actually, let me just go to um, TikTok real quick and show you guys what we're looking at. Um, it's It looks like this, this little diagram right here is governance, risk, and compliance. So governance is, uh, it means um, how does the organization manage all of the information systems, all of the information that they have, all the sensitive information, how do they actually manage that? And then this de definition is the means by which an organization is directed and controlled. How do they control everything that they need to do to make their mission and business work properly. And then you've got your risk portion and risk is a possible event that could cause harm or loss. It's the likelihood of getting hacked for, you know, if, if you want the layman's term, the, what is the determining, what is the likelihood that we will get hacked? And you determine that by um, the events that could cause harm or loss and make it more difficult to achieve your objectives. So a fancy way of saying what what is the probability, what is the likelihood that we will get hacked based off of determining the threats that we have, that we know that threats to our organization and threats to us, whether we're in the hospital space or if you're in the the uh, government space or web financial space, you know what threats are going to threat that are more prevalent to your industry. Right. So that's one part of risk. The other part of risk is what vulner, what weaknesses do we have? What vulnerabilities do we have? So now you're pairing the threats that you have to you to the weaknesses that you know you have in your environment. And think about this. The only way you can know what weaknesses you have is to know what to identify the hardware and software in your environment, which takes governance. You have to have a certain level of uh, control of your environment in order to determine what you have and what is at risk in your environment. I hope that that makes sense to you, but that is risk. And you can see how risk needs governance very much. And typically in risk, you have assessors, you have auditors, um, you have risk officers, you have people who do just risk on an organization. My last job, that's all we did was we went out and assessed the risk of different organizations in the private sector. And then we have compliance. So this is what I this is what I'm doing right now. And in the definition you see there, it says ensuring you follow the appropriate guidelines and use the proper, consistent accounting practices. So this is where we're getting into what laws govern, say, the hospitals. The hospitals have to follow HIPAA. What laws govern retail? The retail organizations have to have to make sure that they adhere to PCI DSS. Um, the federal organizations have to adhere to NIST 837. If you're in an international organization, you might have to adhere to ISO 27001. So you kind of get an idea of governance, risk, and compliance. And real quick, hold on, let me switch the screen back over so I can talk directly to you. Okay, so just some of the jobs. Like governance, 
jobs, if you're talking about specifically governance jobs, that's going to be like management. Uh, one role that off the top of my head that is definitely governance would be like any kind of management position. IT managers is like a governance type position where you're you are directly to directed to control and manage the infrastructure inside, you know, inside your boundary. Another one that's governance would be like a designated um, um, a authorized authorizing authority, like somebody who has to be the final signator on a CIO, C-level execs. A CIO would be a great example of that. Another one would be an information system security manager. Um, so any kind of management type position. Another one that I don't hear talked about that will be a part of governance would probably be a project or program manager because they are helping to direct and control what happens within an organization. So that's also a part of governance, right? In some way, shape or form, they're doing something to look at the definition, direct and control what's going on within the organization. Very, very important because as a cybersecurity person, I can't do my job without the backing of management to say, yay, verily, everyone will do this. Because a lot of times IT, the, the system admin guys will tell me to go screw myself if I'm telling them, hey, you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and I don't have the backing of the CIO, right? Everything I tell them is coming directly from management. It's not coming from me. It's coming from higher level than me. I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm a messenger. They want to shoot the messenger, but it's not me. It's governance that's making this all happen, right? So that's those are governance jobs. Let me give you examples of risk jobs. Risk is what I did at my former position at Verizon. And so we had a department, really great place. I really miss those guys, really sharp people. We still talk every now and then. But risk, we had a risk uh, compliance, uh, not compliance. We had a cyber risk team. And all we did was go out and scan. We went out and scanned. We walked around, did assessments, physical assessments. We did wireless assessments. And it was it was great. I learned so much stuff there. But another position besides like a risk officer would be like a risk executive would be another risk job. Another risk job would be we're talking about roles within the GRC. Another risk type role would be an assessor. A security control assessor is what they call it in the Department of Defense. And the federal government, uh, or just assessor, and there's different kinds of SCAs. Another one would be an auditor in the financial sector. They tend to call it an auditor, where they're they're making sure they're they're doing the same thing assessors do. Really, they're running scans and then looking at the data, or or maybe they're a third party assessor that goes around and hits different organizations and then gives them a report directly to the managers or something like that. But those are risk type roles. Now, compliance, what I'm doing right now, some roles that are in compliance would be information system security officer. You have compliance officers. That's what they call them sometimes. The GRC subject matter expert would be another one that they might call. Um, another one would be, um, a I think I already said compliance officer. But other names for it would be like a PCI officer or a privacy officer. Uh, you might have a privacy manager. You might have a, um, there's so many different names for it. A Sarbanes-Oxley manager. You you might have a specialist with ISO 27001. You might have, so you kind of get the idea. Normally it's, it's based off of one standard. 
it's it's not usually multiple standards. It's usually like you're focused on one. That's the most important one for that particular industry. A very important piece of this is to keep that in mind. It's usually industry specific. Um, so GRC is a very, very broad, broad field. Now, if you're interested in this so far, um, how your next question might be, well, how do I get into this, Bruce? Like what, this is interesting, but how, what do I do? I'm, I'm an IT guy. I've been working help desk for four years, three years, two years, whatever. How would I get myself into a position where I'm working with NIST compliance or I'm working with any kind of GRC standard? Like, how do I get myself? Okay. Here's, here's, here's the good news. The good news is as if you are an IT professional, um, if you have dealt with, um, if you're in an industry where you're regularly dealing with system engineers, system admins, cybersecurity people, if you're regularly hands on with computers. Um, so you, if I'm speaking to you, if this is you, you're one of these people, then the good news is you already have a leg up on a lot of people who are trying to come in fresh because I'll be completely honest with you. To do GRC, usually what they're looking for, not, not 100% of the time, there are exceptions to every rule. But most of the time, what they're looking for is somebody with a background, a solid background in information technology, meaning they know the lingo. They're not going to get lost in meetings. They're not. They're going to know what's going on. They're going to have some idea of the landscape of a help desk, of, of how ticketing works of of uh, what a project manager is what how do what is the infrastructure of an organization look like where is the cio sit in relation to a ceo in relation to the it manager like if you've been in this industry for some time you know what i'm talking about the, you're expecting you to know the basics the common body of knowledge of information technology and how this field has kind of panned out they're expecting you to know that. And if this is you, then you have a leg up on many people trying to come in. And those people coming in from a whole different field, maybe they're retail. They did retail for three years. They did restaurant. They were a waiter for two, two, three years. They were a nurse for two, three years. They don't know nothing about what I'm talking about. Then they're kind of at a disadvantage because they're going to come in and have to learn the common body of knowledge and how the IT infrastructure works. They're going to have to do that in that ITIL. They're going to have to know the basics of information technology. And there's no way around that. You got to know that stuff because um, you can come in with no experience because there's organizations who will teach you, right? Like look at people with a bachelor's degree or master's degree coming fresh out of school. They're setting up um, internships and apprenticeships and stuff like that. You could come in with no experience, but you have to come in with some knowledge. You have to come in. There's no exception to that. You have to crack a book open and start to learn information technology. So if you if this is you, you already know that piece. You already are. You're already inserted in this industry in some way, shape or form. Um, if you're a project manager, I would advise you to get get a little bit technical. Do an A plus. If you have no experience with hands on. Get your hands on, like get the A plus to start with. Now, if you already been in this industry, don't worry about the A plus. You don't need that. Um, I would do a, a security plus or something like that because security plus is going to help you to round out your, your common body of knowledge. Right. So now what you want to do. If I'm talking to you is look, take a look at your resume. 
And the things you want to focus on with your profile and your resume is things like um, I'm going to break down a list of everything that you look at. But off the top of my head, a couple things that they really look at is if you have exposure to standards. In the beginning of this video, I, I mentioned some of them. Um, the most popular ones in the United States is going to be uh, NIST 800 Risk Management Framework and another one called NIST Cybersecurity Framework. That one's huge. Those two are two of the main ones in the U.S. Um, then you have another very popular one, which is ISO 27001, which is an international standard that breaks down a lot of the same things. There's a lot of overlap between those two standards. Another one would be the CIS v V8, if you have exposure to that. If you have exposure to anything I'm talking about, you need to put it on your resume. Other ones would be HIPAA. Another one would be Sarbanes-Oxley. Another one would be PCI DSS. Um, I mentioned in kind of the same ones because those are the most popular ones. There's other ones like COVID, I believe is pretty popular. And there's, um, oh man, there's a whole bunch of other ones that I'm missing, but there's literally hundreds of them. But those are the main ones that, come up over and over again. SOC is another one. There's one called SOC2 SOC2. That one's a big one. So there's a whole bunch of uh, standards. And all these things do, all these standards that I'm naming, is it's like um, they take a federal, state, or industry law and best practices, and they can they squeeze them into one doc, a few documents. They squeeze them all into one document. And it's all you'll see it's just a, a bunch of standards of things, of best security practices that are best for that particular industry. HIPAA, for example, is focusing on healthcare protection, protecting healthcare information, pr protecting uh, the electronic version of your healthcare information. That's HIPAA. And, and if you happen to be a nurse, if you happen to be a CNA, then actually that's really good because you know the lingo of that. You already have exposure to HIPAA. You already know what it is. You've gone through all kinds of training for it. Now you just need to learn the the um, the data piece, the information security, the the IT piece. That's the piece you need to focus on. If that's but you already the thing is, if you're in that industry, you actually have a leg up on people trying to get into that industry. Industry. Where do I donate the coffee fund? <laughs> Nate, I appreciate you. Um, you could do it right on uh, YouTube. You can uh, you could do it right on YouTube right now. I don't have I haven't set up like a cash app or anything like that. So YouTube, if you happen to be on YouTube, then just go ahead and donate. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, this this month, Larry, uh, this is um, courtesy of my man Larry, who uh, who's been giving me a, a little coffee fund every now and then. <laughs> Merry Christmas. All right. So where was I? So I was talking about what is GRC? How do you get into it? How do you focus your energy on GRC? And then if you happen to be a project manager already, if you happen to be a help desk person already, if you are somehow embedded in this field that we're in in some way, shape or form, then you are at an advantage. And how do you take advantage of that? That's where we were. So I talked about what you want to do is focus your energy on your profile or your resume and what they're looking for. Listen, please listen to me. If what they're looking for, actively looking for is people who have those standards. HIPAA, if you know that, put it on your resume. PCI DSS, if you know it, put it on your resume. 
Uh, NIST 800, a real big one, NIST 800, Risk Management Framework. If you know that one, put it on your resume. And the great news about any of these standards is you can actually learn it. You can actually crack open a book. You can. I've got a ton of books. Look in description below, uh, combocourses.net. I got free stuff you can download. I've got extremely cheap discounted books that you can get. I've Hell, I've got free audio books that you can get. Now, you have to be um, part of my um, my list of reviewers. But I've got right now, Amazon gives me a whole bunch of free codes. I just put them out on this site. You, If you log into that site, it'll give you one of those codes. You have to be a reviewer and stuff like that. So there are some caveats to it. But if you're on my newsletter, sometimes I just give shit away. So that's one way to learn. But the thing is, you can actually learn this for free. PCI, PCI DSS is on the Internet. Right now, go to Google, type in PCI DSS. You can learn it. Uh, NIST 800. A little bit more complicated to learn on your own, but you can do it. Go go to Google, type in NIST 800. Hell, I got a ton of resources for free on my site that you could use that point you in the right direction of where to go. But right now, if you go to Google, type in NIST 800 Risk Management Framework or NIST 800, NIST RMF. Type that in. You'll have a whole bunch of resources, tons of government free stuff that they give you. It's it's not super easy to, um, to translate, but... You know, that's what all the other materials and books and videos are for. Um, you've got ISO 27001. Uh, that's another one that you can learn on your own. And a lot of the resources, most of them are actually free. It's just going to take you time to actually sit there and crack it open and, and figure it out. A lot of this, if especially if you're in this, if you've been embedded in IT for some time, what you'll find is you've done most of this stuff. You just haven't put it on your resume. So that's one thing you need to put on your resume, the standards, right? Super important. Another thing would be, what have you done? Like, um, I'm going to, and you know what? It's best for me to just show you what I mean by what have you done. CIS has this really great breakdown of this. One of the best holistic, like it just puts everything in one document in a nice little bow and it's not industry specific. So let me, I want to show you that real quick to give you an idea of the things you should put on your resume. If you're a help desk person, if you've been doing this for some time, uh, it'll and it'll give you an idea of what I mean by what have you done in this field and you need to put that on your resume. Just give me a second. And if you're following along with me and you kind of know what I'm talking about, type in NIST, uh, sorry, CISV8 and you'll find what's called the CIS, uh, CIS Critical Security Controls V8. V8 because they just recently changed their version. Oh, Nate. Oh, my. Oh, my God. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Holy crap. <laughs> Shout out, Nate, man. 49 bucks. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Um, let me let me show you guys what I'm talking about. I'm, right now, what I'm doing is I'm going on uh, the CIS site, and um, I'm trying to – I really have some really great resources. They're downloaded on my computer, but I don't want to spend too much time. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go right here. So let me show you guys this right here. This is the kind of stuff you need to put on your resume. Okay, this right here. See these, see these items right here? Let me switch this, and I will take questions. I see you guys' questions. I will get to that right now. What I want to do is is kind of go through this for people in the future who will be watching this for their benefit. 
So what I did was I went to Google and I typed in CISV8. And this took me to security controls. These are common. This is a common body of knowledge. This is a, this is a best security practices that's in almost every single standard. So if you have these things on your resume, if you have mentioned this kind of stuff on your resume, this is the kind of stuff that employers for GRC are looking for. Now, some of these lend themselves to the G, the R, or the C, which I'll point out. But in general, cybersecurity people are looking for these tasks because these are the best security practices. And I'll just cherry pick a few uh, just to show you what I'm talking about. This right here. Look how simple this is. Look how crazy simple this is. Inventory and control of enterprise asset assets. Inter inventory and control of software assets. What does this mean? What does this mean? What it means is if you've ever been a part of discovering the computers, the hardware and the software within your environment, you need to annotate that on your profile or on your on your resume. So that's that's a part of cybersecurity. That's a part of this is a part of the G and GRC governance, because if you can't govern, if you can't think about it like this, if you don't know what's in your if you don't know what's in your environment, how can you control or direct what's going on? How can you even determine what vulnerabilities you have if you don't have an inventory? So the G in the GRC is super important. And that's where that this piece comes in of making sure that you have the inventory control of your hardware and your software and every single every single um standard worth the salt talks about this it's one of the first things that talk they talk about having a baseline for your security nist has it mentions this um i would want to say it's one of the cm controls it's one of the cm controls about making sure you have an inventory, you have an inventory. Um, ISO 27001, 2022 and 2013 both mention having an inventory. Uh, I believe I want to say PCI DSS has it, and and all and many of the other ones have that. So let me look at another one. Account management. Most help desk people have done some sort of account management. If you have an account on an information system, if you have an account on a on a system then this becomes very important. Here's another one. Continuous vulnerability management, also known as continuous monitoring or vulnerability management itself. So this is a huge one. If you've done any of this, you got to put that on your resume. If you've done um, account control management, if you've done, um, let me let me see another one, uh, audit log management. If you've, if you've implemented the audit logs, if you've reviewed the audit logs, if you've had to analyze the audit logs, these are the kind of things that they're that they're looking for to put on your resume. So what I'm trying to tell you in summary is you got to put this stuff on your if you're looking for the position, you've got to know this stuff. Number one, like if maybe maybe you're in a place where you you can't put on your resume because you haven't you haven't done it before. Well, it's right here. It's listed that this is the stuff that you need to know. This is the stuff you need to have hands on uh, hands on knowledge of. So that is how you get your foot in the door. In the very beginning of this, if you don't have any, if you've never done anything in this industry, if you're not a project manager, you're not a help desk person, you're not, you're not a server guy, you're not a, you're not an ad system admin, 
and you want to go into GRC, right? But you don't have any of those. You're not in that skill set. You've never done it before. You worked in retail. You you worked as sanitation engineer for two, four or five years. And now you're trying to transition. Whatever the case may be, you're an infantryman. Whatever the case may be, you've got to start from the bottom. You've got to start where you are. You've got to start by knowing the basics of computers, period. Not, not cybersecurity. You need to learn about computers first information technology. And so for these people, I typically point you to the one I used that was helpful to me to learn it from scratch when I was a security guy. I was, I'm a cop. I'm an ex-cop. I was an MP in the military. I was a military police officer in the, in the, in Air Force. That's where I started from. So I started from where everybody else does, which is knowing the common body of knowledge of how computers work. If you don't know that, Stuff. If you're not building your own computers, I'm not talking about geeks who are already doing this stuff, right? If you're already coding or building your own computer and shit like that, then you're you could probably just go and take a security plus, <laughs> you know. But if you don't have those kinds of skills and you're like me, you coming in off the street and you're a, a police officer or a fireman or something or a teacher or something else, and you have no exposure to this, then you gotta start from the common body of knowledge. And A plus CompTIA A plus is how I started. And people shit all over that that cert, but I'm telling you, it's got everything you need to start. If you if you're starting now, if you're a help desk person, you don't need that because you already know this stuff, right? So that's my two cents on all of GRC stuff. To for an introduction, how to get in, what it is, and everything. I'm gonna open this up to questions. Shout out Nate, thank you so much for that $49.99. I really appreciate that. He said, enjoy the coffee. This platform helps. Uh, has landed me three offers. Wow, man. Congrats. Congratulations, man. Happy New Year, man. You're going to keep getting those offers, man. Don't don't stop. When you get those three offers, don't get too excited. An offer, listen, like keep getting them, right? It's, it's a numbers game. Keep them coming. Because me, I have to usually get three or four offers myself and do like two or three interviews to get one job. And, and before I got the offers, you best believe I contacted probably two, three hundred people. I've probably contacted three, two or three hundred, probably done 20 different screening interviews just to get that one or two interviews um, or two or three offers. So it's it's a numbers game. Keep it going, Nate. You got this, man. All right. Let me see. Let me start with TikTok. I'm not ignoring you guys. I just got a lot. I'm on a lot of the platforms right now. So let me I'm going to. I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. Somebody said, which CompTIA Security Plus do you need? Um, I would, I'm not picky about the CompTIA uh, Security Plus that you get, to be honest with you. I would choose the one that's within your your budget because they all pretty much have the same information. So to be completely real with you, uh, if you had a choice, what you want to do is choose one that has those questions in the back. Those are the best ones. Look for the ones, this goes for any certification, by the way. Look for a book that's within your budget, right? It could be anywhere from, from $8 to $20, right? It doesn't, $80 even. I've chose, I've I've had some for 80 bucks. I, you're, you're investing in your career, right? So you don't want to, you're investing in your future, right? You're about to be an engineer. You're about to be a technical person. So you, you're going to have to spend some money on it, right? Yeah. So. Look for the ones with the questions in the back. 
another pro tip is use AI. Um, don't rely too heavily on AI because some of that shit's wrong. Um, but it's a great tool. It's an incredible tool. It's an incredible um, addition to your toolbox. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not, you shouldn't rely on it too much. Get a book, read, study that book, do some courses on it. Um, uh, Professor Messer is really good. I've heard, I, I haven't taken his stuff, but everybody, everybody swears by that guy. So those are the kind of people like go off. If you're doing, listen, if you're doing a security plus, find a security plus expert who's talking about it. Udemy has some great uh, courses that you can use. Great study material there. Teachable has some great stuff there that you can do for certification. As far as a book, make sure you get the, the books that have that big fat part in the back that has all the questions and then supplement all your, your courses, your books with AI. Chat GPT, Bard, they're really good at coming up with questions that are based on the um, that are based on the sections that are in that certification. It'll just come up. Use AI for what? Means studying. Yeah, let me show you this. If you haven't done this before, let me. I'm gonna see. Let me see if I can actually log into my. Let me see. It's. I think it's gonna have me log in. Okay, good. Okay, here we go. I'm going to show you real quick how how crazy powerful this is. Um, let's see. Check this out. I'm going to show you my screen in a second, TikTok. Just bear with me. I'm on right now. I'm on uh, ChatGPT, but you can do this with Bard. You can do this with Complexity AI. You can do this with some of the free stuff that's out there. You can I, you can do this with Bing. Bing has a chat feature that's based off of uh, ChatGPT4. So you can do this right now for free. There's no excuse why you can't do this. I'm about to show you how to do it. Anybody can access this. It's a tool. And if you're an IA person, if, if you are a help, a IT person, you need to start using this. So right now, I'm on a platform called ChatGPT. You can use three, the free version too, by the way. And all I'm going to do is type in create. No, watch this. Watch this. I'm going to say act as a IT professional of, of 20 years. Create a create 10 CompTIA A plus questions that are multiple multiple choice all right and go and check this out look at this certainly crafting a plus a plus questions um involving question uh testing knowledge that varies uh, that various it domains such as hardware networking operating systems troubleshooting here are 10 multiple choice questions suitable for comptia a plus ex, uh, examination look at this which of the following connector types is commonly used for connecting a computer or printer 
what is these are the types of stuff that you need to know if you're coming in off the street if you if you're brand new to this it's the kind of stuff you need to know what is the primary purpose of a ups in a computer system and it has multiple choice so look at this you can make this timed you can make it timed you can make it so that it it makes you answer each question and doesn't go to the next one it's all in the prompts how you create the prompt Another thing you can do is, is say, um, give me a curriculum for CompTIA Security Plus. And then you could say, I'm a beginner. And need to take the test in uh, two months. Now watch this. Check this out. It's making me a, a week by week curriculum of study in Security Plus that's based off of everything that's in the CompTIA. Yeah, this is this is mind blowing. Like if you haven't used this, and, and check this out. This. I mean, this is this is the tip of the iceberg. You can also have it simulate um, routers, switches, hubs, the back end of Linux. You can. There's so many things you can do with this. So it would be foolish not to use this in your toolbox. It can also create resumes, by the way. It's really good at that. It's it's really good at making resumes. But for studying, it's a great tool. What is this? This is called ChatGPT. It's it's an. You can also do it with Bard. Uh, Google's Bard is pretty good at what I'm doing. And and some of the platforms are better at other things. Like some of them are really good at certain things and some of them are, are better at other things. When you get when you get deeper into this rabbit hole, you start to see some of the flaws with it. I've been messing with this for a while now and I'm starting to see certain flaws and things. So you don't want to rely too heavily on it. Because there are some, uh, sometimes it's wrong about information. Sometimes it'll just make stuff up. It'll literally just make shit up. Like that's not real. That's not true. <laughs> so you don't, you don't want to use it um, exclusively. You definitely want to buy a book. You definitely want to talk to a mentor or a professional, right? When I say mentor, I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking, oh, buy my course. No, don't buy my course if this if if <laughs> listen my course is specifically for people who are already in this field and they really need to know nest 800 stuff that's what my courses are mostly for so i'm not <laughs> what i mean by a mentor is buy a person's book who's been doing this for a while i do have books you can go out and buy mine if you're doing nest 800 that's mostly what i talk about is grc stuff i'm not doing i have like one book that talks about best security practices you can check that out. Basically, it's just the CIS uh, version eight in layman's terms. I just break down that in layman's terms. All right. So let me see. Um, I got some other questions here. I'm going to take some questions from uh, from YouTube or some comments. Once again, shout out Larry and Nate who have funded this. That's keeping me going. They're fueling, fueling the tank. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Ryan said, hey, Bruce, um, try it this way. Here is an exam. Oh, look at this. Oh, he made me a little he made me a little uh, prompt. Oh, man, thanks, man. That's a good one. 
So Ryan just put a prompt in here. Try it this way. Here's an exam um, objective for CompTIA A plus seven seven zero one. He's specifying the actual current security plus um, CompTIA course, and then he has a link to the actual objectives. And then you can say, "Tell me about the categories: technical, managerial, operational, and physical." Oh my God, that's a powerful prompt. My man just put me up with an incredibly powerful prompt that's way more precise than what I just said. So what he did was he has a a prompt. A prompt is just an instruction that you give to uh, to ChatGPT or Bard or whatever. But what he did was he gave me a gave it a link to the actual site. That, that breaks down all the objectives. And then he said, okay, give me a course or give me questions based off of this specific um, area, this specific objective. That That's a very, very powerful prompt that he just put up. Thank you for that, Ryan. I appreciate you. All right, let me see. Let me see the more questions. Um, which CompTA Plus, we already answered that one. Which framework would you need to start with with Linux or AWS Cloud? Which framework would you need to start with with Linux or AWS Cloud? So um, so when you say framework, when I, when I, I think we're talking about different things. So when I say framework, I'm talking about a GRC framework, um, which is framework is a fancy word for a set of rules. That's all it is. It's a set of rules that give you a certain a certain uh, context. So, uh, for example, right, if we were talking about sports, in order to get give further context or framework, we might a strike means something different in baseball than it does in in uh, bowling, right? Same word, but completely different meanings based off the framework. Framework means a context, which is a list of rules that explains exactly uh, a direction of how things are going to go. A strike in baseball is strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. A strike in bowling is you bowl a strike and then boom, you win. You know, you got higher points because you bowl a strike. So framework provides context to give further meaning. So that's what I mean when I say framework. It's just a list of rules. And you're saying, what do you, what framework do you need to start with? So I think that the words are being mixed up. But maybe your question is, should you start with Linux or AWS Cloud? Um... It really, I would say if you're starting off as a new person, um, you want to start off with knowing the basics of computer hardware, software, networking, operations, applications, A plus stuff, A, A plus, CompTIA A plus stuff. It will include some Linux. It will include some cloud. You, you get what I'm saying? So, the fundamentals is where you want to start with. Now, if you already know the fundamentals and you want to go deeper in a certain area, like say you're a help desk person or you're you you've already been doing this for some time, but you kind of you want to level up. Now, now you want to start specializing. Like somebody told me 
one of my mentors so so many years ago told me when I first got into IT, I was asking him, like, how do I I've heard that people make one hundred thousand dollars in this field. He's like, yeah, they do. And then I said, well, how like how do they how do would you do that? And he said, well, he, he paused for a second. And he said, well. He said, what you got to do is focus on you got to specialize in one thing. And says, normally, if you specialize, that's when the big bucks start rolling in. And I found his statement to be very true, because if you're a generalist in IT, I'm not saying you can't make money. You can't, especially if you're a business person or you're doing some other things like you running a business. Then, yeah, you could stay general is cool and make millions even. But if you're in this field and you're not trying to be a business owner, you're not trying to be a, a self-employed person or anything like that, um, and you want you just want to make that six figures and you're using six figures to live more comfortably. Maybe you want to invest in your business or you want to travel the world or maybe you want to live overseas and be a digital nomad or something like that. Like you, you're cool with 100K. You're cool with that. You, you don't need to be Jeff Bezos. You know what I mean? So look. What I found is what he said was true. If you specialize in one thing, it it's going to lead you straight on a path to making bigger dollars. And because here's the reason organizations need some a subject matter expert in one area, because typically when you go to a larger organizations, they'll have a subject matter expert in cloud, a subject matter expert who does pen testing, a subject matter expert who does. I don't know, system engineering on Windows servers or something. You don't typically have one guy doing all those things unless it's a smaller organization. You know what I mean? So if you have one guy doing all those things in a very small organization, at some point, if that organization grows, they're going to have to hire more people because there's a lot of issues with having one guy who does the pen testing and does the server administration and does the cloud and does everything, right? He's He has 30 hats on. For one thing, if that guy leaves, what do you have? And for another thing, you have a conflict of interest because this dude can do whatever he wants to your environment. Um, there's a lot of problems with having one guy doing everything. If you're a small mom and pop, it's not really that big of a deal. But if you're a small business that's on its way to growth, to scale, meaning to get bigger in many different sites in many different states, maybe even different countries or whatever, you're going to have to hire other people. And they're going to have to you're going to have to as a business owner, you're going to have to hire a dude who does specifically is good at this one thing. And, and as as I'm getting into this, as I start doing business myself, I found that to be. You try to find one freaking magic hero who can do everything. And what you find is that that magical hero guy who can code and do art and do whatever they're usually not very good at say thumbnails. Like they, I've got guys who are very good at editing, but not good at thumbnails. And then guys who are good at thumbnails, they're not very good at editing. And guys who are good at being a, a, you know what I mean? Like, so <laughs> you, you, once you get big, like once you start to scale, you start to see, okay, I need somebody who's really good at this one thing. I need somebody who's really good at this one thing. So as an IT professional, it's the same. You, if you, you're a generalist, you need to start targeting one area that you're going to be really good at and just get kind of go deeper down that rat one rabbit hole. 
And then what will happen is you'll start getting offers, larger offers for people who really want you to be a pen tester or to be a database person or to be a whatever. Right. And that's not to say you can't do those other things, because at some time you will do other things. But your bread and butter, that the thing that's going to get you break you through that ceiling is that specialization in IT anyway. Let me see. Larry, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Larry just gave me 10 bucks. Thanks again for uh, for the wine. I appreciate you. Um, he said, um, hey, Bruce, I got a copy of the cybersecurity program policy book this week. We are going through some of the supply chain management changes at my job using NIST standard. Your book is a great resource. Oh, man, thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for the shout out. Um, any every little bit helps. Um, the purpose of those the books is to kind of consolidate all that information. Just put it all, explain it in a just right straight to the point, and then give you resources to kind of expand what you need to do. And it's just something I wish that somebody would have done for me. So that's why I I put books like that together, man. But thanks for buying, purchasing it, and your support is is it means everything to me. Um, because uh, it's it's really a dream of mine to do to do what I've been doing, uh, to be a writer, to be a publisher. Okay, let me see. G, inventory control and hardware software. So um, on TikTok they're referring to the G and GRC. So G, the G and GRC, I would say a better fit for it would be management, because that's more all encompassing. The inventory control is one of the main things that you need to do from an IT perspective, but there's many other parts of it because you've got to also identify what what is your business needs? What is your business, number one? And then what are the business needs and requirements, which is another part of governance? Because if you don't know what your direction is and your vision is as a company, that you'd be surprised. Like you're probably thinking, like, why wouldn't somebody know what their vision is? You'd be surprised. Like. Sometimes organizations don't know what their focus should be. And as a result, they don't know what their requirements should be. Right. So and sometimes they know what their business or mission is, but they don't they haven't put together their requirements. And then what you get is something called scope creep, where they 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 thought these were the requirements and the scope of their work. And then. They find out that these other things have to be added. And then these other things have to be added and that these other governance is the is responsible for that kind of work where somebody just does nothing but focus on what do we need to do for our business essential functions? What are our business essential functions? Not including all this other added stuff. If everything was broken, what five things do we need to always stay working? That's your business essential functions. And so the governance means focusing, managing those business, identifying those manage those business essential functions and then managing those business essential functions. And some organizations and departments don't know or don't have a handle, I should say, don't have a complete handle on how to do that. Right. So governance is not just the inventory control hardware software, a tiny piece of it. I would say a better word to capture encapsulate governance would be managing management. Um, yeah, I would say management is a better word for that to, to kind of explain what that is. Let me see what else we got going on here. 
And I'm not going to take you guys. I'm not going to hold you guys too long. Um, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Um, I'm going to go enjoy my Larry funded wine here. <laughs> I appreciate everybody. But uh, I'm going to answer some more questions. Let me see. Um, let me see. Somebody said, I've been using Professor Messer on YouTube and I'm finding out someone to cross to cross study. Oh, yeah. Professor Messer is, is all over, all over YouTube. He's got some Udemy stuff like highly. I, I don't get anything. I don't know the guy. I get nothing from endorsing them, but when something's good, it's good, right? That's why I promote CompTIA stuff because they've got good stuff. Professor Messer, he's got good stuff. Like, go go check it out. Um, I thought we need CompTIA A+, Network+, and Security+. Um, You don't need all of these things. Um, The reason why I say CompTIA A+, you don't even necessarily have to take the test. I would I would do it. I did it. I had an A plus certification before it was cool. <laughs> but you don't have my, my point is the common body of knowledge is there. If you don't if you don't want to go to college, right? Because college breaks a lot of this stuff down in, in much greater detail. If you go to a college course, you go to you get a degree an associate's degree in information technology or information systems or a, ma- a bachelor's or master's, whatever, in one of those. They go way, 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 way deeper in all this stuff to the point where uh, some of it just loses meaning. <laughs> I mean, they go way deeper into it. But if if you want something that sums it all up, what you really need to know, CompTIA A plus is that thing. It's one of the things because I've heard there's other courses and stuff out there. You, there's other certifications you could take, but also it's marketable. So the reason why I say, yeah, CompTIA A plus is because. It's got everything you need is if you're a beginner, like a, a real beginner. Um, and then also the the actual cert, if you take it, if you get that certification under your name, it is marketable. Some people argue it's not, but it is like it, I have the numbers to prove it. Like it is a marketable certification. There's organizations who are looking for us. Are there others that are more marketable? Uh, yes, there are. I mean, Security Plus, I would argue, was, is way more marketable. But the thing is, Security Plus requires that you have an understanding of computers. So A Plus is why I say do A Plus first. If you're brand new to this, then do Security Plus. I would say Network Plus is I have that one too. You could probably absolutely need Network Plus. If you really were weak on networking, maybe take it. Um, it's, it's not super marketable. Uh, it's very, very, very basic. Probably be better to just go to Cisco, Cisco's beginner cert or Juniper's beginner network cert, something like that. Um, but I would say A plus and then Security Plus. You don't have to take either one of them, but they are highly marketable. Um, they can help you to get some looks if you happen to put that on your profile on LinkedIn or your or your resume. You will get looks. From those two certifications so um let me see how about real estate or management where does cybersecurity fit in there um i would say for real estate or management um it's gonna be best security practices because if you have a if you have a 
if you have a real estate business, right? Let's say you have two two offices for real estate or management, right? You're just doing property management or real estate or whatever. You guys have to have a network. You have to have computers. You have to have, uh, you know, some sort of setup, especially if you're growing. You're going to have to protect that network. You're going to have to do something to protect that network. Just the basics, if you're really, really small, just the basics will do. Just having maybe you set up your your router or switch at your main office and then you have things like uh, you you have a let's say you have a Wi-Fi. Maybe uh, you want to have a guest Wi-Fi for for clients who come into the office. You want to allow them to get on there. You, you do things like maybe you don't have the guest network um, directly on the the um, the employee network they have an employee a separate employee network where you're doing the mls and you're doing you you might be dealing with clients and it has maybe sensitive information on the clients who are actually purchasing the house maybe has their their financial details in there that network is separate from the guest you have a clear separation between those two networks just basic security stuff that you would have to have for for cybersecurity. so it's Cybersecurity is every it's everywhere. Like everyone who has a computer, anyone who has a freaking phone should have some protection on that system. Um, especially if you're doing heavily. If the more important your information, put it to you this way: the more important your information or your client's information is, the more sensitive it is. The more you're doing PII, personally identifiable information, their name associated with their social security associated with their where they live and their phone number, their personal phone number associated with whatever, the more you have to think about cybersecurity. I would say that's it, it, nobody's exempt from it, whether you're a real estate agent or you're a management person. Uh, the bigger you are, the more you're collecting client information, the more you need to think about this. As far as frameworks in real estate, I don't know if real estate itself has one. Um, I don't think that they do. I think you'd have to do this. You could just do a CIS V8. You could use that to supplement. I don't think that they have a cybersecurity framework. But I could be wrong. Let me. I'm just looking it up real quick. They have their own standard. They might. Let me see. No, they're <laughs> what's funny is I'm going on the sites and they're referring to other ones that already exist. They're referring to the NIST cybersecurity framework and the CIS critical controls. Man, I really know my shit. Yeah, they really don't know. They don't have one that I'm seeing. I'm still looking here. Cybersecurity there. Yeah, they're referring to ISO 27001. They're referring to the 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 CIS controls. They don't. Real estate doesn't have its own. Um, there's a couple gigantic industries that have that might have their own, like manufacturing might have their own. Um, different countries have their own. Different countries, they usually piggyback off the big three, though. The big three would be NIST 800, Risk Management Framework, ISO 27001, and recently uh, NIST Cybersecurity Framework. Those are the ones that most people, most organizations, most companies, they are either reference it or they use it directly. 
Um, there's other ones. COVID is pretty big. Um, CIS V8 is pretty big. But even those ones will reference the big three. So, and I could be wrong. Maybe they do have their own, but I, I'm not seeing a real estate. Real estate doesn't have its own framework as far as I know. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe because it's too mobile or something. I don't, I don't see one for them specifically, but they do have to use cybersecurity. Uh, let me see here. More questions, more questions, more questions. So I'll go back here on. Thanks, Nate, for that. I appreciate you. Another five bucks, man. I really appreciate that, man. I have uh, I left a heavy question on LinkedIn if you have time. OK, yeah, I'll take a look at that. Definitely take a look at that. Um, Let me see here. Let me see if I have any other questions. Um, I've, I've got so many comments I would like to address on Facebook and on TikTok and on YouTube. And I'm going to take some time. Hopefully I have a little bit more time on my hands to sit down and just answer questions like I used to or make direct videos about that's what one of my favorite things to do. I love to do that. But just I just what I'm trying to do here is consolidate a bunch of questions at once, because a lot of times questions are important, comments and questions, because your questions, your question it's not a dumb question. Whenever you ask a question, nine times out of 10, 20 other people have the same question. So when I answer that question on these forums here, it's it's actually hitting thousands of people's questions over time. So it's very, very useful. Whatever question you have, is, it's not a dumb question. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the core skills of a GRC professional. Okay, good one. So the reason why you're having a hard time wrapping your head around uh, the GRC core skills is because GRC is a very, very broad um, field. It's not just one field. Uh, it's literally three different topics crammed together into one. G in GRC is mostly management. It's management of your business practices of, and identifying the business and mission essential functions. It's um, managing the assets, managing the resources, and um, making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, directing the organization to go in the right direction. That's governance. Having all the things in place, the documentation and everything you need in place so that people can do their job effectively and you can do the mission effectively. That's governance. Risk. So in, in governance, by the way, that's managers. So your skill set's going to be management. It's going to be um, documentation. It's not necessarily all IT, too. It's, it might be project and program management type skills would be real heavy in, in governance because that's helping to manage it. But managing, leading, things like that is in the G of GRC. R risk, the R in GRC, the skill set is going to be very analytical because they have to they have to measure the risks that are associated with that organization. So this is where you get your CISSPs a lot of times, your CISAs. These are auditors. These are assessors. These are people who have to look at your organization's business essential functions and say, okay, what do we need to protect? How are you protecting it? More importantly, they're validating and verifying 
that you are protecting what you say you're protecting to determine what the risk is. And they're also doing things like doing that. You might have a team that's doing pen testing. That's a whole separate branch in and of itself. So risk can be broken into several of its own branches. Risk can do risk can be a part of um, pen testing. It can include uh, just risk man, risk assessors. It can be um, black hats, uh, white hats, people who are doing scans within the network and then gathering the information and creating reports. Or it can be people who are coming from outside the organization coming in and getting, putting those reports together. Risk by itself is pretty, is pretty broad and is usually pretty technical. So those skill sets are going to be things like um, networking skills, network engineering skills are going to be important there. Um, probably a little bit of scripting if you have to look at somebody's uh, application security, right? So um, those kinds of things, those are the types of skills that you might have. To, a lot of those guys, the risk management guys, are going to have some skills in the back end of systems. They're going to have they're going to have uh, Linux skills, being able to get their uh, go there, get their make their way around the the um, the CMD. Um, the uh, command line interface. So that's the skill. They're very technical risk. Um, compliance is going to be a lot of knowing and understanding standards. NIST 800 risk management framework. Um, PCI DSS if you're in that industry, retail. HIPAA if you're in healthcare industry as an IT professional. Uh, Sarbanes-Oxley if you're doing major banking institutions and things like that. So compliance is going to be like knowing the laws and the standards that govern that particular organization. And th those are the skill sets. So GRC is a is a combination of different things. So it's no wonder that you're having trouble figuring out what the skill, the core skill set of GRC professionals is, because it, it can be many, many things. And that whole term is so broad that... Um, that it lends itself to so much. There's so many things that you can put in that pot. I would say the if there was something that kind of was com common with all of them is that they they're all going to have some level. They should have some level of basic information technology knowledge. They should have some level of they should have know something about the common body of knowledge. Put it to you that way. They should have they should know something about the common body of knowledge in information technology. That's what I'm trying to say. So, for for example, for example, your managers in the G, their G governance people should understand. What the assets are doing, what are assets like, what is a system? What is the difference between a server and a workstation? They should know that they should know what is the difference between a client and a server? They should know, like, OK, do we need to use cloud here or not and why? For our organization, how can we use IT to as a solution to our business, our mission problem? That at a, from a governance standpoint, they should know that. So they have to know some basic IT for that. So that's your IT managers. Um, risk is going to have to, in order to do the stuff that they need to do, they really have to have a very solid grasp of of the common body of knowledge for IT. And then the same thing with compliance people. Not only do you have to know 
risk management framework or PCI DSS, depending on healthcare, it, it depending on the industry you're in, but you need to know how those standards and laws apply to IT. And so if there's anything that's common among all of those, the governance, the risk and the compliance is they should have a solid understanding of the common body of knowledge for information technology and how it applies to their sector, whether it's risk, compliance or governance. Uh, let me see. What else do we have here? What else do we have? Any other questions over here on TikTok? No more questions on TikTok. Um, or wait, let me see at the bottom here. Oh, okay, here's a couple more. Do you think I can get into cyber with a BS in computer science and search? Um, you you can. Where you want to look, Zuku, is um, if you have a BS right now, what you could do is look into some apprenticeships and internships. If you don't have any experience, internships and um, and apprenticeships. They're all over LinkedIn. They're all over Monster. They're all over Dice. They're looking for people with a degree, usually for those internships and those apprenticeships, because you've already proven you have the knowledge. You have the knowledge. You have a degree. Now it's time to get your foot in the door, and then they're going to train you, do on-the-job training for some of it, and they're expecting you to come in with a certain level of knowledge. And then usually they give you some kind of a grace period. If they're going to hire you, then they're kind of watching to see what you do, to see if they can if they can grow you into this uh, specific position, or sometimes they just need somebody to do some work there, but it's a benefit to you because then you could put that on your resume as experience because experience, experience is much better than your BS degree or your cert certifications. Experience is really what they're looking for. And if you have a degree, they're willing to kind of bring you in, train you, and then see if they could fit you in a position. So, there you go. Um, another question somebody said was, what do you think of the I the IS2 certification in cybersecurity? Oh, okay, yeah. So ISC2 is is um, the organization who does the CISSP. They they do the uh, they have a cloud certification. Um, they have they have a healthcare IT certification, which is interesting. And they recently came out with a CC, which is cyber, um, certified in cybersecurity. And um, my, what is my opinion about it? So I have not taken it. I don't know what their, I don't know what the curriculum is. But I, ISC two, I could tell you this. I have two of their certifications. I have the the CISSP, and I have one called the CGRC. That they recently changed the name of it. Anyway, neither here nor there. But I could tell you, I could tell you this: these freaking guys are very, very good at both making certifications and promoting the ever living shit out of their certifications. And it's, I think, the reason why they're one of the top. Okay, so listen, CISSP is arguably one of the most recognized um, and respected certifications in cybersecurity and they own it they created it they they've procured it they've managed it they've maintained it over all these years not every certification body whether it's government based or vendor based or or nonprofit can say that these guys 
are one of the premier. I would argue to say you could say that they are the top certification body in the world on planet Earth. Um, there's I'm not saying it's the best certification. There's better certifications that tell you way more about what a person does. There's harder certifications. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what they do is they put something out there. They put a solid product out there. They put a certification. Then they promote the shit out of it. Most a lot of their certifications end up on the U.S. government's uh, websites. So I mean, not every certification gets that is that prestigious. I mean, you take a certification body like the SANS organization, who have the best certifications, arguably probably the best organ, probably the best. Like they're the people that I've met who have a SANS certification, a GCIA, a GCIH, or whatever. GPAN, they are freaking so good at what they're doing. But the problem is that SANS course costs like $9,000, number one. So they're marketing it directly to governments and gigantic corporations and stuff. It's not for people like you and I who are just kind of trying to, you know, get get a leg up in this IT industry. They're making these search for billion million dollar company so they'll charge nine thousand eleven thousand fifteen thousand for one certification so that's one problem another thing i mean it's not a problem their market is b2b they're not really marketing to us necessarily another issue is that they it's not a lot of people don't know about their certifications a lot of people don't like unless you're very deep in this field you, you know the lay person doesn't know about this cert but they might know about security plus or cissp so ISC2 is really, really good at promoting certification. So back to your question. What do I think about the CC certification? If the ISC2 did it, they're about to promote the shit out of it. And it's not even going to matter if it's good or bad. They're gonna, if you have this certification, the government, the U.S. government's going to know about it. Other governments all over the world are going to know about it because ISC2 is just really good at marketing. They're good at pricing. Their products, they're good at maintaining their products. They're good at um, promoting the shit out of it. I can name a couple of organizations who are not. They're not good at one of those things. SANS organization, they're over freaking priced, man. And it's B2B, so we're not even their customers. They're, their customers, government or major million, multi-million dollar companies. Um, e EC Council, EC Council, the ones who do CEH. They had a rocky beginning. I, I'm, I haven't followed them for a long time, but in the beginning, people were saying they were, they were a scam. They were just, I think it's because they cranked out certifications too fast or something. Um, I don't really know like why people were hating on it so bad, but they had a, they have in the IT space for a while, they had a real bad, uh, they had a real bad uh, rap. I don't know if that's still the case. I still like their CEH certification. Um, I like their train. I've been to some of the training. It's not bad, but they just have a real bad rap. So their reputation in the IT field is not so good. With the business world, they everybody knows what CEH is, so that's good. Um, so there's different vendors. Vendors is another one. Like vendors are real bad. When I say vendors, that Microsoft certification, Cisco. What they tend to be bad at is maintaining their certifications, or they change them too fast, or and it's not really there's nothing that can be done about it because they have to keep up with their own products. Example, Microsoft has been cranking out all kinds of products lately. So their whole suite of products is about to change because of AI. 
because they're they're implementing Copilot on everything that they have. So that's going to have to be part of the certification program at some point. So, you know, that said, IC2 squared is is vendor neutral. They meaning they're not talking about any one specific product. They're not talking about, oh, when you install Microsoft on this system, you must do X, Y, and Z. They're not, they don't, they stay away from vendors stuff. They just talk about what you need to do as an IT professional and they stay out of whether it's a Cisco system or a, you know, a Red Hat server or whatever. So that's another great thing about it. So it's going to be a great cert. If it's, if it's from ISC2 Square, it's going to be great. All right. Let me see if there's any other questions or comments here. Somebody said um, um, CGRC and assigned roles in RMF. How to remember who does what? How to remember who does what? So whenever you go to an organization, they change up the rules anyway. They change up the names of the roles. So I would say if you're taking the CGRC, memorize what they're saying. Like you're going to have to memorize the difference between what an information system security officer does versus an information system security manager does versus a, I don't know, an, I, an ISO versus an ISSO versus a, you get the idea, right? You just memorize it because is the reason why I say that is because a lot of organizations I go to, they have the equivalent of these things, but it's not named that. I've been in an organization where they, they didn't use the term ISSO, they use IAO which is information assurance officer. It meant it means the same thing. You're doing the same job, but it's a different name. Um, in a lot of contracting positions, they don't use, they'll use their own terminology. Like you might come in as a cybersecurity specialist too, and the work you're doing is an ISSO. So what I'm trying to tell you is memorize what they're saying. Just whatever you got to do, write it up down a thousand times, use mnemonics, whatever you have to do to memorize it. It's coming out of the NIST 837 and the NIST 800-100. I think there's a NIST 800-100 that also breaks it down. Memorize it. Just, just write it down. Whatever you got to do, memorize it. And then when you go to your job, you know, it's kind of applicable, but they kind of change the names up. So don't... <sighs> Don't don't read too much into it. Just memorize it, take the test, pass it. And then when you get to your first organization, you'll be like, oh, okay, this is this role. It's a privacy manager. Okay. This is a oh, this is an information system owner. This is an information system security officer. Okay, I remember this. You know, it, they'll they'll be doing the same things that they're talking about in the book, but they'll have different names. So use whatever method you can to memorize what's in there. It will be important. It will be, there's a very good likelihood it'll be on the test. I should say that. <laughs> um, when recruiters say candidates should be versed in NIST, is there any cert that, or is there any cert or basic knowledge? Oh, okay. Um, so what do they mean when they mean well-versed, should be versed in NIST 800, uh, NIST? 
Um, I'm thinking back to experiences I had when they said on the job description, they said, okay, we want you to know NIST. Number one, which one? So there's NIST cybersecurity framework, and then there's NIST, there's NIST 800 risk management framework. They're, they are different. They, they overlap and they can be used at the same time. They complement one another, but they are different things. Um, so usually when they, when they say they want you to be versed in NIST 800 risk management framework or NIST cybersecurity framework, they want you to have used it in your previous organization. That's what they usually mean. The reason why I say that is because whenever I go to the interview, they ask specific things about how I used NIST 800 risk management framework or how I used NIST cybersecurity framework. They're asking very specific things to know if I to see if I know it. Um, to to see if I've used it before. So that's what they mean by very well versed. Um, and then your your other part of this question was: Is there any cert uh, for or basic knowledge? Um, yes. Yeah, so what you could do, let's say you didn't have the experience with it, right? You they in their in their um, description job description they say, well, we want you to be well versed in NIST eight hundred or NIST cybersecurity framework. What you could do is this: apply for the job anyway. Let's say you don't have any experience with it. Read up on it. Read up on, I hope you got a pencil, NIST 837. Read it. Start to finish, read it. NIST 800, uh, NIST 800-53. Now, you only have to read like the first part of it because it's more, mostly a reference guide. It'll give you an idea of all the security controls. You'll know when to stop reading it because it'll start going into all the security controls. Every single one, there's about a thousand of them. But the first part of it's really, really useful because it's going to explain like why, what changed and what, what, uh, what, how it's broken out and uh, how it relates to NIST 837, how it integrates with risk management framework. The first part of it, of the NIST 800-53 is really useful. Um, the rest of it's just a reference. Another one that you want to read is FIPS 199 and FIPS 200. Those ones you can read cover to cover. They're only like eight pages, 12 pages or less, something like that. They're very short. Um, so read those. Those are the three main ones or four. Those are the four main ones. Other ones you could check out would be the NIST 800-137, which I think is, um, Continuous monitoring. And uh, man, I feel like I'm forgetting a big one. Anyway, those are the main four I would check out. And uh, that's like the core. As far as certifications, that will be the CGRC from the I ISC2 squared. That is a certification that specifically, the whole test is about the documents I just said. Uh, there might be a couple of other documents in there, like the NIST 800. Dash 30, that one's somewhere in there. That's risk management. But it's going to be mainly those ones I just talked about um, with peppered in with some other NIST 800 stuff. So 
Um, that's that's how you could do it. Like, and that goes for any other things. Like, let's say you're trying to get a job for piece with that said in the requirements, you must be well versed in PCI compliance. Read the hell out of it and then go take the interview anyway. I mean, what's the worst they can say? No. You can sit there and not know things in the in the uh in the interview and then they they don't take you. I mean, what did you lose? You you gained experience because on the next interview, you'll be able to know exactly how to answer or not answer, you know, the next interview. Hope that helps. Let me see what else we got here. I want to create a platform that has multiple OS and tools used in cybersecurity with projects that gives user experiences. Do you think it's possible to get the licensing for that? Um, there's a couple organizations that do something like what you're talking about. One is called, um, now it depends on what type of thing you want to do, but there's a couple off the top of my head that do, there's a couple for network engineering. Uh, network engineering, there's one called GNS3 for network engineering. It's a whole, it's you downloadable tool that allows you to make a virtual network on your computer. It's really cool to use. Another one that's similar to that is VMware. VMware, you download it on your computer and you can actually do the same thing I just talked about. You make it like a little network, download operating systems, have all the tools. As far as a website, there's the pen testing ones that have everything you need and then you just do pen testing. There's one called Hack the Box. There's one called uh, Try Hack Me. I mean, I've tried to do like a, a coordination with those guys so I can give you guys for like free codes or something to get in there and try it um, for a discount. Another man, there's a couple of as far as G, GRC ones. Um, could you do that? I think you could. I think you could do something like that with GRC. You'd have to you have to be pretty specific. Like you'd have to say, okay, the role is you are a ISO twenty. You are a, you're an ISO, and you have a, you have to create a system security plan. You could probably do all this in the cloud. You could probably do one. That's based off of uh, AWS. You could do one on AWS, and you can have an AI that helps you with it. You, I thought about doing something like this actually for GRC, but it just um, it would take a lot of work to do something like that. You could do it though. What licensing would you need um, for GRC? Um, risk for if you did one for ISO twenty seven thousand and one. There's no licensing you would need. I mean, aside from setting up all of the, all of the uh, AWS stuff, yeah, you could you could do something like that. You could this is possible. Um, I don't know of any organizations who are doing it outside of B 2 Bs. There's some B 2 B organizations that do something like that. And they charge a shitload of money for that because they know what they have, and so they they charge the government. They do like a SANS where they're charging like 10 grand or something for access for 10 days or some shit. And then <laughs> it's crazy. So you could totally make some money off of that for sure. Um, I'm I'm doing I'm doing cybersecurity for forensics. Are jobs hard in this industry? 
Um, I'm doing cybersecurity and forensics. Are jobs hard in this industry? Um, I would say forensics can get pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Um, forensics can get pretty crazy. It, it gets really technical. It's it's not for everybody, for sure. I've I've had a little taste of forensics, and it's not for everybody. Um, it's a it really takes an analytical person who's extremely patient. Um, and usually the guys who make the best forensics dudes are people who are really heavy technically in one area or another. They're like programmers. They're, they have like a programming background or they'll have like a real deep pen testing background or they'll have like a real deep. I've just noticed all the forensics guys I've talked to, they have a real deep background in something like that where they're really technical um, in something. And then they were just a great fit for forensics. They had a lot of patience. They had a lot of, they had a kind of a scientific mind and uh, where they're very, very analytical. And um, is it hard? Yeah. I, forensics, I'm not going to sit here and say forensics is easy. Um, I don't think it's for everybody. Like it's, there's a learning curve that's, that's, on a whole nother level with forensics to be good at it. I mean, I think if you have the tools and you got to use the tools, anybody could do that. But how many people can be good at it or be even be decent at it? Not many. I, I would say not many people can be good at that. You know, I just, it's just, it's freaking magic, man. <laughs> I mean, at some point forensics is just like, it's straight up science. So data, we're talking about data forensics. It's straight like it's anybody can use the tools and, and use, you know, but there's there's a certain level where it just it's way beyond what the average IT professional can do. Um, it gets very deep. So I would not say it was easy. Um, cybersecurity, that's a very broad term. There's parts of it that are not super technical, like what I do, not super technical. I'm not in the weeds. I'm not breaking computers apart. I'm not, you know, setting up servers and making them talk to another operating system that's across the world. I'm not doing WAN technology. I'm not doing CCIE stuff. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing meetings. I'm there's sometimes it gets technical. You know, I have to know some stuff in order to speak to very technical people who are super deep in the weeds on whatever thing. But I'm not doing hands-on stuff. So cybersecurity is very broad. It's different levels of, of uh, difficulty. Forensics, I would say, is a very hard. It's, it's not easy. It, it would be like, uh, it would be right up there with like software engineering. Like it gets, I think anybody could do it, given the right tools, could do basic software engineering. But not everybody's going to be decent at it. You know what I mean? That's like forensics. Just That's just my two cents. I could be totally wrong. Keep in mind, I'm not somebody who's done a lot of forensics before. I've done a little tiny bit. Not enough to know any damn thing or speak on it at all. Um, would, an would an infrastructure project manager have transferable skills to GRC? 
What do you do as an infrastructure project manager? I'd have to know that. It sounds like you'd be the G in GRC. Are most cybersecurity roles more heads down, less ownership than project management? Great question. So you're leading me to to uh, get into what I do. So what I do is is a lot of project management type stuff. Let me explain. So I'm a cybersecurity person, but I'm doing a lot of vulnerability management, which requires me to set up meetings and talk to people who actually have hands on with those systems. I'm talking to three or four different teams who are managing, directly managing our environment, which means I've got to schedule things. I've got to figure out who does what and when. I've got to go get answers. I've got to talk to upper level managers. I got to talk to directors. I got to talk to to sometimes I even have to talk to our actual end users. So I'm in a position where I'm not doing a lot of heads down type in the weeds, setting up routers or switches. I'm not doing any of that, by the way. I'm not doing none of that. Um, it's I'm talking to the people who do that. So cybersecurity has many different roles and many different levels. In the industry, in the place that I'm at, I'm I'm helping to manage the security posture of our whole environment, which includes physical security. It includes um, talking to managers about operational security. Um, it, it includes talking, being in the weeds with the with the server guys who are implementing policies throughout the whole environment. That said, I have to know enough to speak to them. I have to know what, uh, say, Active Directory is, right? I have to know how it works. I have to know how, I don't have to know how to implement it, but I have to know how it works. And sometimes I have to know how to fix things, which means I've got to do research. If, if we have a vulnerability, I have to be able to tell a system team, here's how we fix it. After I do some research, sometimes, you know, I'm not going to know that off the top of my head because it's some random thing from some random operating system, you know, that not it's not a random operating system. It's it's an operating system we have in our environment, but <laughs> I'm not going to know every vulnerability that comes down. So I got to do research is what I'm saying. But I'm not doing hands on stuff. I'm mostly working with other people. It's just like a project manager might do. So your skills as a project manager, this is why I talk a lot to project managers, because a lot of the stuff that I do, you guys do way better than I do. Like you, that's your whole job. So what I'm telling you is if you want to do IT, start learning um, the common body of knowledge of IT. Like it's like an A plus or A plus has what you need. You want to take the A plus. If you know nothing about computers, take the A plus certification. Um, that means you got to train on it. That means you have to know the common body of knowledge, take the test, pass it, then do the security plus. Once you take the security plus, you're ready to rock. You your real goal is, is security plus level of knowledge. Once you get there, you can be a cybersecurity person. You can do, and from, from there, you can go into different areas of cybersecurity. You can go into hell. You can do not cybersecurity. You can do uh, network managers. You could do. You could be a network engineer. You can do. Uh, for we were just talking about forensics. You could go that route. 
you can go now super deep and technical, but you could do that. You could be a software engineer. Maybe you like you try your hand at software engineering. Try try to do that. You could do you could be a firewall guy. You could be a IPS IDS person. You could be a cybersecurity analyst. You could be like this whole different areas you can do. But to do what I do, you already do a lot of what I do. All you have to do is know that technical piece. And that way you could speak on um, vulnerability management, for example. Right. And and for that, you have to get your hands dirty and start to learn the common body of knowledge in uh, in in IT. And if that makes any sense, you can do it. You can tell if listen, if I can do this, you can do it. I'm coming from I was a weapon specialist. My specialty was putting together M16s and and shooting guns. That was my specialty. And then I went from that to being an IT guy. So if I can do this, if a freaking jarhead can do this, if an infantry freaking rock can do this, if uh, if an MP can do this, then you can do it too. So um, I, that's the path to do it. Like you got to learn the common body of knowledge. So you said infrastructure, infrastructure project manager. It, does it have transferable skills to cybersecurity? I would say yeah, if it's anything like regular project managers, yes, it totally does. Because there's a certain level of maturity that's not it's not talked about. It's funny because all the influencers out there, they don't really talk about it. But it's super important. And if you're really in this industry, if you've been in this industry for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you've got to have a certain level of emotional intelligence that a lot of people don't have. You just do. Um, and that's why I think that a lot of people of color. This is not political. Listen, I'm just telling you what I observe. A lot of people of color and a lot of immigrants tend to do this job because it's not easy. Emotionally, it's difficult. You got to deal with assholes. You got to deal with people's attitudes. You've got to deal with you've got to be able to speak other languages. You got to be able to speak to the CIOs, the the mid tier managers the technical people, and sometimes other users, and of course your peers. So emotionally that gets exhausting because you're talk, you're dealing with a lot of different attitudes. And people, I've just noticed like a lot of immigrants especially are real mentally, emotionally strong because a lot of times they come from a harsher environment and they come here and they're like, y'all complaining about an iPhone? I didn't have nothing to eat in my country, you know? <laughs> um, so I just notice a lot. Right now, the office I work in, the, the group of people, everybody's there. Like you got white people there. You got black people there. You got Americans. But what I've noticed is probably, I want to say over 25% of us are from our um they're national, they're naturalized citizens. They're coming from, they're coming from uh, Nigeria. They're coming from, they're coming from Ghana. They're coming from uh, Vietnam. They're coming from Panama, South America. I mean, that's just a few that I have on my team. We have a, a team of, there must be about, 
15 of us and there's probably five or six that are are naturalized citizens it's because they come from a harsh environment so they're used to dealing with like i mean they i'm sure that they have some feelings about dealing with some some at some ah oh man what's a better word to say i'm not i'm trying not to say asshole i'm trying to say what am i trying to say here difficult customers you, you have to deal with difficult customers from all walks of life. And some IT professionals do not want to deal with that. And we're just, I, I think Americans are kind of soft. Like we're, I love it. Listen, I'm not trying, trying to talk shit about America. I love America. I love Americans. I don't like everything we do, right? We're not going political route, but I like freedom. Um, but we're soft. We're pretty soft, man. <laughs> we're pretty... We're pretty soft, and not everybody can take it and yell that. It's a, a lot of veterans do what we do because veterans can take it. A lot of uh, naturalized some immigrants can take it. A lot of people of color who who come from a, a not even people of color, people who come from a harsher background, I should say, a, a, a different social economic background. You know what I'm saying? Doing this job, and uh, it's because when you come from a rough environment, it it makes you. You're forced to have a certain level of emotional intelligence that a lot of people don't have to have. So because of that, you can you can be you can deal with a difficult customer and just go about your day. And you can separate the job part from your personal feelings. And you you've had to have a certain level of of self-assurance and self-efficacy meaning like agency like you 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 had to survive by your wits and your you had to temper your emotions to get to live to survive and i think this is just my two cents that's why a lot of people a lot of immigrants who had a real rough time vets uh veterans uh from all branches of the military are doing this work that other people are not willing to do or they get a taste of it and they're like, fuck that. <laughs> because it's, it gets emotional. And this is something, this is something that a lot of, a lot of my, um, a lot of my peers on YouTube are not talking about is that it's emotionally, it can be difficult to do this job because I mean, if a system gets hacked, people panic. If if systems, you discover a bunch of vulnerabilities on a system, people panic. If you, people get really in their feelings about this. It's not it's not easy work. Uh, emotionally, it's not easy work. So, um, I think that that's it, guys. I've got a couple other questions. I'm gonna kind of quickly go through these. Somebody said, will you say that there's more GRC jobs than other cybersecurity roles like pen testing, forensics? What are those job labeled as? What are the roles? And what does GRC look like for the future with increased AI? That's a great question. Okay, let me quickly do my best to answer this one. Um, so Glenn says, first part of the question is, would I say that there's more GRC roles than in cybersecurity than others like pen testing. Yes, I would say so. And the reason why I say that is because GRC itself, that term, it means that it's that's all management positions that are dealing with IT. That's 
all risk positions, that includes assessors and auditors, and all compliance positions, which includes several different standards, of which there's hundreds. So anybody who's focusing on those standards, any one of those hundreds of standards, it includes them. So that said, that's way more jobs than pen testers. Pen testers is, I'm pretty sure they have different types of pen testers, but I mean, forensics is a tiny field. Pen testers is a bit bigger. And I would say that GRC is gigantic. Nobody talks about it. It's kind of in the background. It's the people working the wheels in the background. Like nobody talks about it, but it's there. Um, so yes, to answer that first part of the question, he says, what does GRC look like in the future? Oh, what are the, the other question was, what are those jobs labeled as? Okay, GRC, think of management, IT management type positions. Um, other GRC roles would be, oh man, information system security manager. That's an actual role. That's the actual title that you'll see out there. Any IT management, any anything like that, directors, CIOs, CEOs, CISOs, those are all GRC type positions. Risk. Risk roles would be assessors. Uh, they're also called validators. Um, they're called um, um, SCAs, uh, security control assessors, auditors. Those are the risk. Another one is cybersecurity risk assessor, cyber risk professionals. So anything risk related is going to be a risk there are in the GRC. Compliance would be a, a subject matter expert in NIST 800, in H of HIPAA, in any, any just name your, your framework. And if you have a specialist in that or an officer for PCI compliance or an, or a risk management officer or a HIPAA officer, all of those are compliance-based uh, job titles. And then another one is uh, information system security officer, information assurance officer, um, hell, GRC SME. I've seen that one before. So those are some of the names and titles of, of jobs that you will see in GRC. And then your other question was, what does GRC look like in the future with AI? Um, I think it's, I think it's the same. And the reason why I say that is because what we're doing is dealing with human beings. GRC is a lot of helping to manage the people within the organization. We're helping to manage the people who deal with information systems and information. Uh, the hardware, the software, the networking, we have to deal with the people. We have to deal with the people who are dealing with those systems. So th there's not, in order to replace this job, you would have to replace the entire infrastructure of information technology as a whole. You'd have to replace all the networking, and that might happen someday. But I think that's probably when general, when we have something called general AI, um, when when AI can do more than humans and it can make a better network than human beings, which is soon, like in our lifetime, that'll happen. Um, even then, you still have to deal with people. Risk management framework, GRC is a human problem. Let me explain. 
So I'll take one specific family of security controls. If you have people who have to have a laptop and have to send emails and have to do any kind of work with a computer, those people have to be educated on what the security features of the computer the computer is uh, and what what they can and cannot do on that system. They have to be educated. And that is known as one of the words for the phrases for it is um, awareness training, cybersecurity awareness training or just awareness training. That's a human problem. We're we are making sure that the human beings who are typing on those who are interacting with that that data um, are trained. So that's a human problem. Um, so another one would be um, dealing with making sure the organization uh, is doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what you're doing. Are they doing scans every week? Even if you automate the scans that are doing there, you don't even need a person to run the scans. It's just automated and an AI is doing all the scans. Somebody has to make sure that the AI is is doing what it's supposed to do. Another thing is that you might have to have, no, not might, you, we're going to have to implement, we're going to have to have a risk management framework for AI itself. That's another thing. AI is not a cure-all. It cannot do everything. Case in point, right now, the large learning language models, they they hallucinate, they make shit up, and sometimes they'll just take, they'll take information from a poisoned source. They'll take information from a source that is wrong, and then they'll tell you this is the answer, right? And the reason why is because it's grabbing all this information from all human history from the internet, and then put in its, in its putting it all together, like a, making a Frankenstein piece, piecing it together like Frankenstein, and then giving you, spitting out an answer for you, right? That's what it does. That's what large language models do. And it rephrases it. It, you know, it adds some nuances in there and stuff like that. But it's it's taken from all the internet. But some of the stuff on the internet is wrong. A specific problem I had with this was that I was was writing a book about this. I was writing a book about how you could use use AI to create your whole GRC program, right? That I have that book is out right now. But one of the first issues I had was that it was telling me the wrong information for a risk management framework NIST 837. And I was like, what the hell? Why is this wrong? And it was it was wrong because Risk management framework had just updated to the next revision. Like it was, it went from revision 837 rev one to rev two. And so it was saying it was, it was saying stuff from rev one, which was wrong because we're no longer using that. So, I mean, in the stuff that I was writing, it was, I was no longer, I had to tell it, hey, use this. I had to educate it and say, this is what you should be using. And then it corrected itself and said, oh, sorry about that. Here, here's Rev 2, and it kept doing it over and over again. So it's not perfect is what I'm saying. It's awesome, but it's not perfect. Um, 
Another thing is that right now the government, U.S. government, is coming up with a risk management framework for AIs. Because one of the big issues, one, one of the big issues with AI is that um, you have to have safety features on it. Imagine this. Let me explain what safety features are. So safety is a big thing in AI because what you could do, and I've tried this, because <laughs> AI is super powerful, man. So what I did, one of the first things I did was I said, okay, tell me everything about this person. I had a specific name in there. Tell me everything about this person. Here's where they live. That shit's on the internet, by the way. Google your name right now. I want you to go on Google right now. Go on Google and Google your name. Put your full name and then your 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 uh, state or city, and see what comes up. It's going to scare the shit out of you. If that's the case, that means the large language models, when they trained them, have all of our information right now, because that's what they use to train the model. If you type the name of a person, where they are, it should be able to know it. But what ChatGPT does is it says. Oh, I'm I'm not I'm just an AI model. I'm not so I can't talk about this specific thing. It that's what it says. And you can also upload faces in there. So that's one of the other things I did. I upload a face and say, hey, who is this? Because it freaking knows, but it won't tell you because it's designed to not tell you. It's designed to not tell you. And it would come up with a little statement saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm an AI model. I'm not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. You can't put names, uh, personally identifiable information. It'll just, unless it's a celebrity, it'll do celebrities. But you can't put like just anybody in there. Um, and it can't do faces because that's another that's another personally identifiable information. But I guarantee you that it, it has the capability of doing it. But chat GPT, I mean, open AI, they specifically put something in there to say, do not under any circumstances are you allowed to ever do this. But it can it do it? Yes, it fucking can. So there has to be safety features within AI itself. And that's just one example. I mean, there's so many other things that I ran into. One of them was right now Snap. Uh, what is it called? Snapchat. Snapchat has an AI where somebody... Uh, pretended to be a 13-year-old girl and said, hey, um, my 30-year-old boyfriend is coming to pick me up. Do you have any advice on on doing my, having my first time first time with a with a guy? Like, can you give me some advice? I'm kind of I'm kind of scared. I wanted to have my first time. And then the chat the the AI within Snapchat proceeded to explain to them exactly how to have their first time with a 30-year-old man as a 13-year-old girl. There has to be safety features. All I'm, all I'm saying is that there has to be safety features in AI. Um, otherwise, we got problems. <laughs> and that's just some, that's just some of the stuff that you have to AI itself will have to have risk management framework. So that was a great question that that I really talked about way too much. But let me see. What does GRC look like in the future? I think it's it's still GRC. Compliance work will still be around. I think it's going to be easier and better with AI. To be honest, it'll be it's what's happening right now is AI. 
large language, generative AI, that's what they call it, is being integrated with some of the tools that we currently have. It's being integrated with, with uh, Windows operating system, as it's called Copilot, and they're, they're implementing, they're integrated in there. Uh, Google's already implementing BARD in their Google Assistant, which should be any month now. It's they're integrating it in all of their software suite, like all of it. Gmail's gonna have it. Um, their freaking what's it called? Drive is gonna have it. Oh, everything's gonna have AI as like a part of the whole infrastructure. That said, all the security tools that I use will eventually have also have AI. I think it's a good thing because it helps me to do my job better. Right now, AI, to be honest, even before chat GBT and BARD and all this, we already had AI implemented in something like um, ArcSight, which is a scene. Um, it's already really implemented in um, in things like Splunk, but it's like an algorithm. It's like a, it's a it's a very good algorithm that helps us to do our job better. And so we're already kind of using something like AI. Think about video games. Like if you if you ever play, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto has AI in it. It has a simple AI that's running the bad guys whenever you're running from the cops or whatever. The, the, the police officers in the game have an AI that allows them to come and chase you and stuff. It's just a very simple AI. It's not like we have now, but they're going to integrate that into games. They're already starting to do it. It's just going to get way smarter. So I think we still, as an IT person, you'll still be an IT person. You'll just have another tool to use. You know, I don't think we're to a point where it's going to replace everybody. I think that's probably probably 10, 10 plus years away where it's like really replacing massive swaths of the work of the workforce. Um, but mostly I think it's going to enhance the jobs that we have. Uh, we there, there is a problem coming like it's it's on its way. Uh, but I I don't think it's going to look exactly how we think it will. Um, and I, I that's not to say I know how it's going to look. But I could tell you this 10 years ago when we saw AI on the way, nobody saw it replacing creative people. Everybody thought it was going to replace like truck drivers or something. I know I did. I thought that they put it in a truck and then truck driver jobs are gone but no it's it's actually replacing part of i mean hell i've you could use it to do help with editing you can like that's editors are probably you know <laughs> gonna have some challenges um or uh, people who do creative arts like now you can just use mid-journey to have mid-journey create uh any kind of art you want it can make all kinds of stuff like it make thumbnails it can make uh logos it can make all kinds of things so that's a whole part of the creative force that's you know i'm sure that they're probably i mean the smart thing to do is if you're a creative if you're in it if you're creating content use it because really the first wave of jobs is going to get that are that are be threat that will be threatened are people who use ai and versus the people who do not even know what AI is. So those people are going to be like, man, how are these guys creating stuff so fast? Like, how how are they doing all this stuff? So those are the jobs, I think, that are going to be the most at risk. 
All right. I think I think that's it, guys. I got to get the heck out of here. I've been talking for two hours and um, I really appreciate everybody. Thank you so much, Larry, for your donations. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nate. Man, thanks a lot. That really helps to fuel this whole thing. And thanks, everybody, who's every week been joining me. Um, the party kind of keeps going. I've got a whole bunch of other platforms. I mean, I've got a Discord channel. You can talk on there. Other this people way smarter than me on there, by the way. Um, I'll put jobs on there. If you want to be on my newsletter, I put jobs on there. I've got tons of free stuff that I constantly send people on a regular basis. I got a team of people I'm wor working to write with, and we put out books and giving out for free to to the people who follow me, people on my newsletter. They usually get it first. I say, hey, I need a review. Here you guys go. Here's a book. Uh, check out this new book I have before I even talk about it on these channels sometimes. So that's it, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. I'm out of here. Um, see you on the next one.